Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply step into the world of power loyalty and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather. Now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, welcome to episode 9 of Comedians Talking About Football and a brand new series of the podcast. This is the eagerly awaited Liverpool episode and talking about the reigning Premier League champions is comedian Mark Olver. Seeing as this is a new series, we have a bit to get through first, but if you want to skip the pre-match talk, you can jump straight into the Liverpool chat with myself and Olver by going to around the four minute mark. So this is the second series of the Com Talk Footy Pod, recorded throughout the 2020-2021 season. My name is Sam Michael, I'm your host. If you are new to the podcast, you can listen back to Series 1. There's eight episodes featuring comedians such as Jacob Hawley, Nathan Caton, David Alfie Ward and many more, plus two bonus episodes. So as I record this intro, we're in lockdown uh, three or, or four, we can't really decide, but as it stands, football hasn't yet been cancelled. Uh, There was a glimmer of hope with fans returning for, I think, two weeks and then things went tits up and we're behind closed doors again. Which, although it's a shame, is for the best considering the situation as we want to keep as many people safe as possible. I hope you're all staying safe too. Speaking of safe, I had a right laugh the other day. Um, I don't know if you remember this. I I certainly didn't. Um, I was watching the All or Nothing Tottenham documentary, which is much better than I thought it would be, to be fair. Although the music is so dramatic and unnecessary, the episode where they lose to Bournemouth is directed like an episode of Chernobyl. It's hilarious. Um, Anyway, episode seven or eight is the COVID episode filmed last March, when things start to really kick off, pardew the pun. And I don't know if you remember this, but the Premier League, to tackle the global pandemic, took extreme measures. Yeah. To tackle this deadly virus, they pulled out all the stops and banned handshakes it's hilarious it shows them line up um they they cut out the handshakes as a precautionary measure the commentator says before the camera then pans to twenty thousand fans all screaming their heads off 
it's unreal. Um, considering what we know now, that that was the only measure. Unbelievable. Uh, to be fair, that no handshake rule is still in place. I must stress that. Uh, in fact, I love seeing that too, actually. Um, not sure if you've noticed, but a full time in games, they do the old elbow bump thing. We've all done the elbow bump, right? Yeah, they all do that. But then they hug straight after. What's the point? What is the point? Oh, well, stay safe, lads and lasses. Stay safe. Because uh, we do not want football to go away. Uh, by football, I do mean the Premier League, the EFL and non-league. Um, I cannot pretend to get excited over German football again. Do you remember that? 2pm every Saturday. Yay, Schalke versus Hertha. That was a low point in lockdown. Dearing me. Anyway, with a new series comes a new soundtrack and incidental music. And it's coming from David Hoare, another great comedian. And you can find his stuff on Spotify, YouTube, and he's on Twitter at David Hall Lyle. So give him a follow, show him some love. Please also follow our social media channels. Um, search Comedians Talking About Football on Facebook, or you can find us on Instagram and Twitter under the handle ComTalkFootyPod. And check out the YouTube channel as well for loads of extra content, including our pilot of Comedians Watching Football Together, something I'm hoping to do more of during lockdown. So yeah, if you uh, give us a follow, give us a shout. And as always, your listens, your shares, your reviews, your downloads of the podcast are hugely appreciated. And thanks for all the support for season one. Anyway, let's get into today's episode. After 30 years of hurts and 30 years of waiting, Liverpool fans were forced to wait even longer as the 2019-2020 Premier League season entered its most turbulent period in history. It's worth noting that even in World War II, Football wasn't postponed for as long as it was during the coronavirus pandemic. But as predicted, the season returned and Liverpool were soon crowned champions, their 19th top tier league title, but technically speaking, their first Premier League trophy. Talking all things Liverpool FC, this episode is comedian Mark Olver, a multi-award winning comedian and MC, and one of the most successful TV warm-up acts in the UK, working on shows such as The Last Leg, 8 Out of 10 Cats Does Countdown, and recently The Emily Atak Show. Or you may have seen him on Dave and Comedy Central. So this is Mark Olver talking about Liverpool FC. At the end of the day, football, it's a funny old game, comedians talking about football, comedians talking about football, comedians talking about football. Mark, thank you so much for joining us on Comedians Talking About Football. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. Now we're recording this at the end of what has been a... A very, very strange year. A mad one for live comedy. How's 2020 been for you? Do you know what? It's been all right, actually. It's been uh, definitely a roller coaster. Mm. Um, so I was uh, I was meant to have an amazing summer. Like, I do a lot of TV warm-up. I do a lot of different things. But get ready for this. Two of the things that I had booked in and uh, were removed because of corona. Bearing in mind, I'm fully aware that uh, lots of people have had a nightmare. Lots of people have lost loads of work. Lots of people have lost their lives, health, all that sort of stuff. I understand that. However, I was meant to be going to Tokyo for the Paralympics with the last leg. Wow. Um, I even had my hotel room booked... And I had spent 
about three hours looking at that hotel on Google Maps to look at all the nice restaurants that are around that hotel. I looked at the route between the hotel and uh, the studio where we were going to be doing the last leg. I had it all sorted. End of August, I was going to be going to uh, Tokyo uh, for the Paralympics, which would have been amazing. And before that, yeah, I and this is a football-related thing, um, I, a company who were doing all the fan parks for Euro 2020 yeah, um, all across Europe contacted me to be one of the hosts of the fan parks uh, for 2020. And as part of that, I was going to book and compare a Euro 2020 themed comedy night every Friday and Saturday on the South Bank. Oh, <laughs> I mean, oh. it doesn't it doesn't get better than that, right? I mean, those are two <laughs> those are two pretty good things uh, to uh, to have uh, to have go. And the thing oh, is, man. like, loads of people had stuff go, and I had lots of other work go. But then you start to realise that actually, you know. Things go, things come in. So when restrictions are lifted, I started doing gigs again. You know, Liverpool won uh, the league. Um, It was, uh, do you know what really irritated? That the lockdown didn't happen before the Atletico Madrid uh, (laughs) second leg game. Because, like, it should have, like, Loads of other games were being cancelled. I think loads of other games were cancelled that week. Mm. Allison was injured, and if I'm convinced that if Alice that if it had been delayed, come back, Allison would have been fit. I think we might have got to the final again. I genuinely think we would have got uh, to the final against Bayern. I think double. Imagine it straight after. How can you beat winning the Champions League? Go and beat the double. I mean, you've beaten the Champions League in a way anyway by lifting the title for the first time in 30 years. But but still, that would have been... You're right, that was quite a controversial second game, actually. Not to bring the mood down, but there was a lot of talk then about, obviously, the fact that a lot of fans um, at Atletico had come over from, you know... And that, that, yeah, that, those yeah, sort of absolutely. Were... absolutely. It was that, and it was the Cheltenham races were happening in the same sort of mm. week or fortnight. And everywhere else was shutting down. I was having work cancelled we knew that things were going to happen yeah and yet they still went oh no let's do twenty thousand. and <laughs> I, I genuinely think the same week maybe it was the man city game that mm. was was cancelled but uh and we you know we we played quite well and even a um adrian played quite well um adrian that played quite well <laughs> um and we even we even took the lead in extra time and it was like oh brilliant we've done it and then it all went absolutely pear shaped. So, but this is the thing. This is the mm. thing that COVID has taught us is that no matter how rubbish things are, a there's always going to be people who have had more of a nightmare than you, and b things always get a little bit better, and yeah. you know things do eventually get better. So, yeah, it but- makes me feel slightly philosophical. <laughs> And with with the with the TV work then, because obviously audiences weren't allowed into the studios anymore, that that must have affected you quite a bit. And what about when yeah? No, I had everything went everything. Oh man! Uh, uh, end of March, April, May, June, July, August, everything went. I replaced some of the August work with 
outdoor gigs and gigs in Bristol where I live and touch wood. I've been sort of fairly busy even when a lot of other stuff went. I did a a show for the BBC called uh, Stand Up for Live Comedy that was filmed in outdoor uh, spaces around the UK. Um, I've done a couple of Zoom TV warm-up. I've done a couple of things where it's just me entertaining the crew, um, (laughs) which they hate, but (laughs) I tell them to pretend not to hate it so I can keep getting paid. A couple of little audiences, a couple of things like play-ins where they have already recorded a show and we play it in a socially distanced cinema. So things have been able to be made, just not as much and not as fun as before. Oh, fair enough. And then obviously, as you said as well, a nice distraction during lockdown was Liverpool lifting the title. Absolutely. Now, yes. With, <laughs> now, with you being a Liverpool fan, I, I mean, I could ask where did it all start. I think the the best question to ask is how long of those thirty years have you been waiting to see Liverpool lift the title again? All of them, because I'm old. I'm forty five <laughs> years old. Um, so I, uh, so a lot. There's a lot of comedians. I don't know how many of these uh, podcasts you've done, and I don't mm. know how many you've done with. Uh, comedians of a certain age right but i would say if you're in your 40s and you live in a town without a top division club yeah if you're in your 40s you're most likely to support liverpool if you're in your maybe 20s mid 30s probably man U. um and if you're in your you know early 20s possibly chelsea you know yeah. i kind of whenever i get this thing so i'm Whenever I get this 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 conversation, oh, why are you a Liverpool fan when you're not even from Liverpool? I'm like, I get it. I absolutely get it. I should be a Bristol City fan. I live south of the river in Bristol, <laughs> where Bristol City uh, fans live. I'm I'm about uh, a five minute drive away from Ashton Gate. I should be a City fan, but you cannot argue with a five year old me <laughs> from. 1980 like yeah. like tell him it's not my fault you have to blame you have to blame him seeing that team seeing them win everything seeing them wear red seeing mm. them be on the news all the time i mean i mean i could have been a forest fan you know it's kind of uh if i was a little bit older i might have been swept away by forest but as it is little old me discovered liverpool at that age and then have just stayed with me really that was going to be my next question, to be fair. I like that you got to it before me, but it was going to be that. <laughs> As Mr. Bristol, you think Mark Olver, you think Bristol comedian. What's wrong with City? What's wrong with Rovers? I mean, there's a lot wrong with both of them. No, <laughs> there's... Uh, so I, I've had this conversation with City and Rovers fans, hmm. and they don't agree with me. I, I've been to Rovers. I've been to Ashton Gate. I went to... Uh, the last time Bristol City were in the playoff final against Hull, uh, I went to Wembley and watched them lose there. Because I'm a proud Bristolian, what I want is a Bristol team in the Premier League. Yeah, It's more likely to be City because they've got the money, they've got the infrastructure, uh, they're in the Championship. They're, you know, sometimes they do well. The Championship is such a weird... The Premiership's weird. The Premier League's mm. weird this year. The Championship is even weirder. Yeah. Um, but but if Rovers got investment and they were going to, you know, do well and get, 
I I want them to as well because mm. you, do you know Bristol haven't had. Uh, I know you're doing a quiz with me later on, so I'll put a quiz question <laughs> to you. Go on. Back. Um, the last time Bristol had a top division club, when do you think that would be? I reckon it was probably. Is it longer ago than the eighties? At 1977, yeah, I think. Yeah, I would have said late 70s. I didn't know that they ever had anyone up there in the 80s. But yeah, it, 77 it is, or 78, I think. It is mad that a, a city like Bristol hasn't had a top-tier football team for that long. I find that mad. It's passed them by a little bit. There's not even loads of great Bristolian footballers. You know, there's mm. uh, Gary Mabbott, there's Julian Dix. Um, one of the goalkeepers... One of Stoke's 27 goalkeepers, I think it might be Jack Butland or someone, is from Western Supermare. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, there's not a there's not a tradition of it in uh, in Bristol, which is a bit of a shame. Mm. I think Brian at left back for Fulham, he's a Bristol boy. I think he's at Bristol he's City a Bristolian. For a while. Yes, that's right. Yeah, scored yeah. that free kick in the playoff final. One day, uh, one day, I'm convinced. One day, one day, one day. But until then, you saw the you saw the thirty years, <laughs> you saw the thirty years ahead or plus of 1977, and thought I'm going to go Liverpool instead. So it was it was that kind of you were five then when you first became a Liverpool fan. Who, who were the I think names so. back then? Yeah, I think so. I think I'm. So I definitely remember. Um, I remember being fourteen, doing a paper round, and. Uh, wanting to get home it was hillsborough so the day of hillsborough i was doing my paper round and wanted to get home and watch the semi-final wow um and and obviously that was you know the the saddest day for any liverpool fan and and anyone who's a football fan yeah but i was already involved and emotionally connected to liverpool football team when in 1989 when that happened so i must have been a fan for five or six years before that at least i would say i i sort of remember i remember um i obviously i remember uh liverpool arsenal uh michael thomas i remember i, I remember doug leash coming in uh to manage so that was about what 84 85 maybe yeah. so like i was so i was about 9 or 10 when i remember that happening so, um, but before that, it's ever so slightly vague a bit. Let's talk about this sort of 30 years between the last, you know, back then, of course, it was the Division One title and then the Premier League title. It seemed so, now it's happened. When they said it a 30-year wait, it made you realise kind of how odd it is that it's been that long. I mean, in that time, there's been obviously great success at Liverpool, UEFA Championship. European championships and everything. Um, but still, how you look back at some of the squad who've been before, and don't get me wrong, this squad is absolutely fantastic. How they didn't win a title under Steven Gerrard as, as captain is insane. You know, look at all these various players who were there and you think, how in the 30 years did they not pick up a title? Is it just a case that there were better teams out there, that the majority of it was under the kind of the Ferguson years? Or, or was Liverpool missing something, do you think? Um, I think... Not just Ferguson, but um, Mourinho and Chelsea as well. Um, and then when the Mourinho-Chelsea uh, thing sort of waved away, Man City came along. And, you know, we got 
we got close a couple of times. You know, we got close, maybe finished second three or four times, mm. um, maybe even more than that. Um, we had all the problem in the the mid nineties um, and the two thousands with uh, Gillette and Hicks and all that sort of. Yeah you know, all that ownership issue into the 2000s until Addison, we never really had a great goalkeeper. Like, mm. I think it's... So there was a thing about who's the most important trans... What's the most important transfer business Liverpool have ever done? And I think it's selling Coutinho. I think Coutinho... Mm. Buying Coutinho is the most important person we we bought for a long time. We bought him for like 11 million? Yeah. 11.5 million and sold him for 142 million wow. and <laughs> bought and bought Van Dyke and Allison. You know, but yeah. the first time we had, if you think about all the goalkeepers that we've had since Grobelar, um, David James should have been the best goalkeeper in the world. You know, his mm. his shape, his fitness. Yeah. Um, but he was just such a lunatic sometimes. <laughs> um uh yes he do that you know our Champions League winner um we got rid of quite quickly afterwards. Yeah. Um we probably would have won uh the Champions League a year early if we didn't have carriers in goal. We do you know what I mean? We've had this this history of slightly dodgy keepers. If we had had Czech, if we had had Schmeichel, if we had had... Uh, who was playing for Man City when they won their... First, was was Joe Hart? Joe Hart was, City? yeah. Joe Hart was there then, yeah. So so when Joe Hart was not shit, mm. you know, it was kind of... Uh, so, yeah, we just never had... We might have had Gerrard. We might have had... You know, and that... I mean, that team... That team that got second with Gerard Suarez, Coutinho, Sturridge. Yeah, I mean that was a that was a brilliant. Team. It was. I was about to bring up Suarez because I felt like at one stage when they sold Suarez, I thought, well, that was their chance. I thought that's their chance gone when they finished second. I thought, right, build on it next year, and, they, and then you know, Coutinho went and Suarez. I just thought, how where do you go from here? Where do you go? Yeah, and we were rubbish. In the, I think we went out in the group stage of the Champions League mm. uh, when we qualified by being second and then Suarez went. Um, everyone who listens to this probably knows more about football than me. All of my facts are 85% confident, but I'm <laughs> sh- I'm 15% sure. I've got more enthusiasm uh, than factual knowledge. Football fans absolutely astound me with their uh, <laughs> with their knowledge of the game, but um, but I'm 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 an enthusiast, and frankly, I'll keep that. That's what we want here. Don't worry, it's all <laughs> enthusiastic here. Yeah. <laughs> New little feature we have on the podcast, which is uh, I want your five aside unsung Liverpool heroes. So it's five aside team. I don't want the Gerrards. I don't really want the Robbie Fowlers. What I want is five players who maybe even Liverpool fans have forgotten over the years, but someone who's stuck in your mind since being a fan who you would, if you had to put a five aside team tomorrow, you're down Filton. 
you have to put Filton at the uh, at the five side courts. You got to put this team together, dead or alive, and you can just put in five unsung heroes. Uh, so I'm going in goal. Uh, my favourite Liverpool goalkeeper of all time, uh, Peggy Arfixfad. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's a strange choice when someone says favourite Liverpool keeper. I love Peggy Arfixfad. There's a reason he's my favourite uh, Liverpool player of all time. Um, and again, uh, it's I've been doing comedy for 22 years and I've lived in a house. Uh, I, I lived in a house with uh, in a flat with John Richardson, uh, John Robbins, Russell Howard. Russell... Uh, Russell and I did our, our first gigs literally two weeks apart from each other and we're both big Liverpool fans. Um, and so... Was that so the Ram? My aunt- the Ram in Bristol? Um, yeah, it, it's now called the Ram, but at That's the time it. it was called the Chateau, yeah. That's and smart. it was downstairs there. How oh, do you know that? Well, someone's been watching Richard Herring's podcast. Oh, I see. <laughs> Mine or his? Both. 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 <laughs> yeah. Both Just to let it. you know, uh, if you ever see two stories told by me and Russell Howard, his are going to be funnier, mine are going to be accurate. So just remember, <laughs> take out what you want from both of those. No, I did I did see uh, your one at the, uh, it was at the Old Vic, wasn't it? The Bristol Old Vic, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, cool. Um, Russell and I have had a running joke for probably nearly 20 years now because there was a moment I think we were losing to Bolton uh, years ago. Um, Sander Vestervelt let in a goal, made a mistake, and the camera cut to the bench, um, and everyone looked absolutely distraught, apart from Peggy, <laughs> our fixed our substitute goalkeeper, who didn't look happy because Vestervelt made a mistake, just looked happy because he was paying absolutely no attention to what was going on <laughs> whatsoever. And I was always like, God, if I could have the career of anyone, I'd have the the football career of Peggy Arfixrad because he gets to play for Liverpool and he does nothing. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I will absolutely, I will absolutely have Peggy in goal. We had a player who I think might have gone to your lot after okay. us, um, Portuguese Ilori. Yes, he um, did. Te- Tego Ilori. Diego Ilori, yeah. Did he one? go to yes. Reading? Yeah, he was. He was with us for uh he was he was with us for quite a while actually. He was a good little player. He he signed with us, I think, under Yapstam and had quite a good had, had quite a good run. He played a, a, a I remember him scoring for us, I think, once. It was one of his only career goals was for Reading. But he was with us for a good couple of years and then unfortunately sort of fell down the ranks. But yeah, he was with us for quite a while. Yeah, and it just didn't work out. And actually, so what? So this is what I'm going to do. So my unsung, and because I'm a compare, I'm a warm up. Uh, so, so I'm going to go for people who absolutely did not make it because I'm giving them a chance. Mm, I like it. And then I'm going to go five someone who will just win all the games on their own. So that <laughs> okay. is my plan. I like it. So, uh, so I'm going Peggy in goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, my defence is a lorry and an Argentinian right back we had called Insuer, who we okay. who was about 19 um, and looked brilliant and then went away to some sort of... I hope you're Googling all these facts while I'm talking, um, So to, 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 just so I know I'm not being an idiot. And then and he looked great. And he uh, and it just didn't work out for him. And he went away to 
an under 20s competition or an under 21 Argentinian competition and then just could never get back in the team. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what happened. I don't know. Um, uh, we had Enrique at the time from Newcastle. Yes. So I don't know if he just couldn't get back in the team. But I I just love the fact that we had a young Argentinian and I got really excited, but uh, <laughs> he went nowhere. So he's covering your defence with Elore. Uh Yeah, so he's in defence with Elore. Um And then my fourth player is uh, a Colombian called Mark Gonzalez. Yeah. Um, who we we fought for for such a long time, like to get work permits for, to scat, like, and and he was a a right winger, and he was um, yeah, and he he just looked brilliant, and he was the player that I thought was going to be our Ronaldo. Um, yeah, see, I remember if I remember right, he was quite a good-looking young lad. Good-looking like, boy. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you look at this team. This is, I mean, I'm a straight man, but this is a hot-looking team. This is good-looking boys. <laughs> well, this this is the best-looking. 2007, 2006? I time? think so. And and they absolutely, and I always fought with Gonzalez. I was like, if he went to Man United and if he had a Ferguson or if he had a Wenger, or if he had a really great manager, hmm. would he have become a really great player? And I often wonder because... I think so with comedians we know a lot about the world of comedy mm. the uh the the intricacies of the agents and the industry and all that sort of stuff and I sometimes wonder whether it's the same with football and we just don't know that stuff like I wonder whether if Gonzalez was staying down at the Albert Dock and then became a bit of a party boy yeah. or whether he was hanging out with no one else who spoke uh, who spoke Spanish? Maybe there weren't any. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like I sometimes <laughs> wonder whether there was an, whether there were issues behind, whether he pissed off Gerard in his first week, yeah, and so never came. Like I always think that there must be more going on than um, than we know. And and you always hear about some of those players. Like I'm obsessed with Ravel Morrison, and I always think to myself, so he's the Man United kiddie who. Uh, was a yeah. proper, just had a really difficult life and difficult upbringing and couldn't, his discipline was just an absolute nightmare. But everyone at Man United always thought that he was just an absolute genius and, and did well for West Ham and even got in like an England squad. And there's an amazing YouTube footage of this inc- this ridiculous goal Ravel Morrison scores. Like he was an amazing player. And I think the last time, he was playing in like Canada or somewhere like that. <laughs> and you just think, and, and Ferguson couldn't fix him, but I no. think, oh, I wonder if Klopp could have fixed him. Mm. Or I wonder if, if Jermaine Pennant was, was around now, whether Jermaine Pennant would be, you know. So, so that's my four incredibly average, <laughs> uh, incredibly run of the mill, but incredibly attractive. <laughs> All those, Peggy just stays in goal. Well, I was going to say what I normally do is I, I hit you know you we talked earlier you were on the Richard Herring podcast. He gives um, yeah, yeah yeah he gives emergency questions. I do emergency okay, yeah, facts. Yeah. And what I've got one here is is that how many appearances did Peggy make in his three years at Liverpool? I think he probably made two. Do you know what? That's spot on. He made two exactly. <laughs> do you know how many he made in his whole career? Which, oh, which stems on. from 1989 to 90, uh, to 2005. 
First team appearances. Yeah. Go on. 39. That's incredible. <laughs> That's a career. That's absolutely. That's amazing. a football career right there. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> perfect. But this team, so th- so everyone in this team has one job. Mm. Their one job is just to stay back. They don't even go, it's five-a-side, they don't even go across the halfway line. Um, and then Yari Lippmann, uh, the greatest Finnish player of all time, who was with Liverpool for an incredibly short amount of time. Um, he just stays, he just stays up front. He just stays uh, around. And yeah, he, I think Yari is one of the, the greatest sort of unknown footballers, really. I mm. think his his skill and and we had a couple of them. Uh we had Suso, we have Alberto Aguilani, um uh yeah, we had some re Morient, we had some really good players, but uh we had Joe Cole, you know, there mm. was some really Nick Barnby, we had some really good people sort of towards the end of their career. Gary Gary McAllister, like just, you know, we could just play him in front and just, so that's the thing about five aside. Don't concede and then just let the man with the glitter just have a go. <laughs> and I think Yari Littman is like, is, yeah, he's incredible. I love it. I love it. I, I, that's, that is exactly what I was looking for. It's a new feature. I wasn't sure if it was going to work for series two, but it's, uh, it's worked perfectly. Are you happy with that? I'm very happy with that, Mark. But what thing is though, I've, I've from doing more research and correct me if I'm wrong on these, I want another five-a-side team to play that five-a-side Liverpool team. But I would like them to come from comedian housemates because, as you mentioned earlier, you shared a flat with the likes of... Uh, now, I'm not sure if this is completely correct. So, Russell Howard. Yes. Okay, John, so, so... John Robbins. Can I... So, can I do... Uh, can I do comedians that I've lived with in Bristol and in Edinburgh. Yes, absolutely you can. Okay. Yeah, because I, I did so, see uh, that. Because did you stay well, for at least a time? I, I saw it says John Robbins. I saw Russell Howard. Uh, Will Hodgson, was he one? Yeah, uh, uh, Hodgson lived with us in Edinburgh for a bit. Yeah. That's it, yeah. A good friend. I like Will. Good. He's been very yeah, helpful for me. He's a great guy. Um, did you do so, your hair? He doesn't do my hair, actually, no. We always mean to kind of book in, but then what with COVID <laughs> and everything, we never got around to it. Um uh Hodgson's not playing. Hodgson's not uh Hodgson's Hodgson's on the bench. Nice. Um <laughs> he's gonna be so, like uh, Peggy. Yeah, so right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, very much. So uh Robbins goes in goal because he is a goalkeeper. Right. I'm gonna play myself, actually. Yeah. Well, it's like a gig, isn't it? If you put on a gig, you've got to give yourself a spot in there somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but also I'm playing uh I'm basically I'm gonna play uh I, I live with Steve Williams in Edinburgh. Okay. Um, and uh, Wills, he's a brilliant comic. Doesn't do loads now because he he spends so much time uh, working with uh, Russell. So he writes with Russell and does loads of other stuff. Uh, but he's a brilliant, brilliant comic, but also an excellent footballer. Right. Like he was, um, I don't know who he was on the books for, but he he's just one of those who... Uh, he doesn't show off. Russell shows off. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of very good footballers, and Russell is one of the better ones, but he shows off. Right. He's got a really funny story about uh, 
playing some sort of uh, pro celebrity game at Anfield, and he was on the same team as Coutinho. Mm. And uh, <laughs> Coutinho had the ball. Russell was open. Coutinho had the shot. The shot didn't go in. Russell went, mate, I'm free. And Coutinho gave him <laughs> the most withering look of, do you do you understand what you've just done? Um, but I'll let him. I'll let him crack on. I'll yeah. absolutely let him crack on. So I'm going to put uh, Robbins in goal. John Robbins. I'm going to put uh, Steve Williams... Uh, and Andy Zoltzman. Right, okay. Because uh, I live with Zoltz in, uh, in Edinburgh as well. So they're going to be my back two. And what they do is just let me and Russell uh, just float. Brilliant. So they feed me the ball. Most of the time it just goes past me uh, because what will probably happen is that when the ball comes towards me, uh the ball will be passed to me from Zoltzman. And before it reaches me, uh, Russell will nip in, <laughs> take it off me, do something ridiculous, have a pop. And yeah, and I'll just sort of sit there and I'll let everyone run past me and everyone come back that way. But every now and then, this is the thing about my uh, my football skills, I'm massively unfit. I've got a fairly good left foot. I've got a dreadful first touch. Um, but every now and then I will do something incredible. Like I am basically my football skill is very much like my comedy skill. Like I am mediocre at best, but every now and then, uh, and there are so many more comedians, so much better than me, but every now and then with fluke or magic or the wind blowing in the right direction, I will do something ridiculously amazing on stage and on the football pitch. And I don't know how I've done it. No one knows how I've done it. And it'll probably happen two or three times a year, but you'll go, that was pretty good. And I'll go, well, I cannot take credit for it. It's going to be my lifelong ambition now, I think, though, to put on that unsung heroes of Liverpool versus the comedians who have lived with Mark Olver match at some point. Yeah, you know, I mean, the the thing is, there's a like, there's a lot of fame in there, so we could probably sell quite well. Yeah, I think so. Weirdly, the the comedians are more famous than the footballers. In yeah, my that's what I was thinking. Yeah. They probably. I could just probably get the fire. I could get the Liverpool players down. They know. I'll get them downfield. Really I'll get them in there. They just stood there going, "Where's Russell? This Russell guy going to turn up or what?" And sorry, what is that? John Robbins from from the podcast. Wow, you know, is that Andy Zoltzman from the news <laughs> quiz? Wow, you know, and yeah, it'll be a very very specific, uh, a very very specific team. Best footballers: uh, uh, John Bishop, Math Brown. Terry Alderton, I would say. Oh, really? Uh, that's your that's your strongest footballers, I think. Terry Alderton? I wouldn't have thought that. Terry Alderton uh, was, I'm going to say, on the bench for a South End game. Really? They, he's a good keeper, and they had so many injuries that uh, that yeah, that Terry. Uh, he didn't play, but I think, yeah, he was like in the squad to make up the numbers or something. Oh, brilliant. Um, well, there you go. But yeah, Never knew that. Keeper. 
That's better than any fact I'd pull out on this podcast, when it's terrible once played. <laughs> It's a funny old game. Comedians talking about Go back to 2005, the Champions League final, AC Milan. Do you, what are your memories of that game? So I live, so my house here is in that direction, uh, yeah. left about. Uh, 300 yards is the studio where they used to make deal or no deal right. and deal or no deal was one of my shows yeah. uh for 10 years i did deal or no deal from uh november 2005 until it finished in 2015 um and just before that in the september 2004 the studio is called paintworks mm. i did a my first ever warm-up was a show with russell brown called kings of comedy and then in the spring, summer of that year, 2005, I did uh, the warm-up for a show called Fuck You, which was a panel show streamed over three weeks on Channel 4. Justin E. Collins hosted one week. Karen Taylor hosted the next week. David Mitchell hosted one week. And it was one of the first TV appearances for Frankie Boyle, for Alan Carr, for Paul Foote. For, yeah. There were loads of brilliant people on it. And it just, and it was a really long record. It was like a three and a half hour, four hour record. And uh, there was a recording on the night of the Champions League final. <laughs> but I knew that, and we didn't have a great league season that year. So, so I don't think anyone expected us to win it. And so we just had it on in the green room. We just had it on in reception and... Every now and then the floor manager would shout me to go on and I'd go on and then go off again. And obviously I went on when we were 3-0 down, so I was miserable. And then as the evening went on and we realised what was happening, the football, the recording was so long, the football actually finished <laughs> before the recording finished. The recording started at seven. And so I was able to go into the studio and tell the audience who had their mobile phones off I was able to say to them, if any of you are a football fan, don't turn your phone on. Don't ask anyone. Just get home as soon as you can <laughs> so you can try and watch the highlights without knowing what happened. Yeah. Um, and so that was my uh that was my memory of and then I phoned, um, and this is a name drop, so forgive me, but I phoned uh John Oliver, because uh, nice. uh, he was in New York, already in New York. Um, and, uh, yeah, he was the first person I phoned after we uh, after we won. <laughs> is John Oliver a Liverpool fan then, is he? He is. He's a big Liverpool fan, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a big, he plays football. He, he used to play five-a-side. I don't know if he still does. With uh, with Mike Myers, really, a he's big a big Liverpool fan, fan isn't he? Yeah, yeah. there's like a, a New York TV comedy Brits five side thing, and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, John, but yeah, so and I've known John for a very long time because we sort of started at the same sort of time, yeah, and we'll still email each other, but it's all it's like 95% Liverpool, brilliant, brilliant. Well, you would be over the last year or so, morale at the club is like no other in the world, I don't think. I mean, have you seen any of the recent Tottenham top documentary on on Amazon? 
No, I up? haven't actually. I, I've sort of I've seen clips of it and I've heard lots of people talk about it. But but Klopp is Klopp is amazing. And like whenever people talk about him getting pissed off with fixture congestion mm. or the five subs rule or all that sort of stuff. Like it all feels totally as if all he cares about is his players. Like mm. it just feels like that. It, it just feels like that is the beginning and end for everything he does is to protect those players. And I think that's why they play for him. I think that's that's true. And that's the mentality he's built at the club. And the reason I bring up the Tottenham documentary is I watched, I only recently watched it myself. Again, a lot of people talking about it. And I and I really love, I normally like things around clubs who were lower down. There's a brilliant 90s Leighton Orient documentary, Club Sold for a Fiver. Fantastic. Amazing. Uh, I like the Sunderland documentary. I, I kind of, not that I like to see teams fail. I just like to see kind of lower down. But I started watching this Tottenham documentary. It's a lot more in depth than I thought it would be. The documentary starts at the very beginning. And this isn't a spoiler alert if anyone's. I did see someone the other day say, you know, oh, I'm starting to watch the Tottenham documentary. Can no one please give me any spoilers? And someone's like, well, what do you expect? You know, Sissoko, Sissoko isn't going to die in episode four. You know, <laughs> it's, like, it's quite funny. They but um, not win the Champions League. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. Well, that's that's where it starts. It starts with them losing the Champions League final. And you can just see that Poch really struggles to lift their spirits back up, which is why they had such a hard start to the season. And I feel for him because obviously this documentary has been made, but you can just see the mentality of the squad just isn't there. Tottenham just have, have lost it. All their heads have gone. And I think that um, that isn't the first team that's happened to. It's happened to Ferguson before after um, defeats. Uh, and it's happened to, 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 Man, to Man City. I mean, I think Man City and Chelsea have lost loads of managers, you know, managers who have won a league, then maybe lost a league and just can't lift them up at the beginning of the next season. And what I think is amazing from Klopp is you had the 2018 final, the Champions League, which felt like the be all and end all. It was lost in kind of a really unfortunate fashion, what with Howler from from the keeper at the time. And then um, managed to lift them back up and lift it the next year. And then there's the other thing that, you know, he gets record points for the Premier League, but then finishes second. But again, that's two years in a row, two seasons in a row. He's managed to lift them up from a failure and get a, a victory out of them, which I just think is to do yeah, it although, two seasons in a row. Yeah, although it, you use the word failure then, and I don't see losing the Champions League when Ramos tries to break Mo Salah's arm and <laughs> losing the Premier League because uh, we had a goal. Sadio Mane's goal was ruled out because mm. it didn't cross the line by two millimetres mm. or something. Like, like, I don't see either of those things as failures. That's fair. That's fair. I see those things as amazing, especially when you look at, like, it's weird for Liverpool to be able to claim to be any form of underdog. However, every team in world football is an underdog compared to Man City. Mm. And if you look at... A couple of people were were talking about, oh, Liverpool are going on about their injuries, but they've still got... Uh, Mo Salah, Firmino, Mane up front. They've still got Henderson, Wijnaldum, Cater in the middle. You go, yeah, but we've got a free uh, 
left back. No, sorry, a free right back, a seven million pound left back, a free centre back, and a midfielder playing at centre back. Like, I reckon our back four, not including the goalkeeper, but our fit back four mm. is probably one of the cheapest in the Premier League. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah it's mad, like, really. We've got two of the best fullbacks in the world. Hmm. I always find it amazing that that people don't talk all the time about, you know, Real, Bayern, Barcelona, even City coming in with eighty million pound, ninety million pound bids for Trent and uh, and Robbo because, like, they are literally we got the best goalkeeper in the world. We got the best central defender in the world, but but I think really importantly, we got the two best fullbacks in the world, and com, com, combined, mm. they cost seven million. But but for you know, fullbacks are kind of are, are so important in the way football is played nowadays. Yeah, I was thinking that I wonder whether teams shouldn't look at young footballers; they should just try and find the best like long distance and cross country runners from age sort of 11 or 12 and just train them to be footballers <laughs> just so they can just keep bombing up and down those lines. Like, you know, uh, like Robbo and Trent. It's, yeah. That's the future of it. I always think that you, you might be able to answer this question for me. Yeah. If David Beckham was starting to play football now, mm. do you think, They'd play him because he's not. I, I can't imagine where David Beckham would fit in on a wing for a team nowadays. No, he wouldn't. Do you know what? He was, I was thinking about that, funnily enough, not that long ago because uh, me and my dad, we were discussing um, Gilfie Sigurdsson. Oh, yeah. who was at Reading for a while. He came through our youth squad and he was touted as like David Beckham in the sense that, and he still is very good. He can ping the ball and find anyone making a run. He can take free kicks. He can take corners. And he's just got that kind of, um, a lot of people used to say, all Beckham can do is sort of bend the ball, but he could do a lot to be fair to him. He could get forward. He could, he could take some nice shots, but he wasn't really given the opportunity to go forward because he was stuck out on the wing. And that's back when wingers like Giggs and, and Beckham would play literally on the line. Their yeah. role was to run all the way down so that if anyone came for a sliding tackle, they'd be off the pitch and then they would ping it in. Whereas Sigurdsson began his career at Reading, I think, on the wing and was gradually moved to a more kind of a, a centre midfield. So at that point, you can get the ball in the centre. That's where you want to sort of ping it over. So I think now, if Beckham was to play, and I'm not sure how his career ended, it might have ended around this in 2013 at, um uh, Paris Saint-Germain but I, I yeah it would be a more centre midfield maybe even a defensive midfield position yeah but I also think I wonder whether if he was a a 15 year old now with the boot that he had whether they might have tried playing him because they always say oh tr you know Trent could be the new Beckham put him in the mm. middle but I sometimes wonder whether they would have put if Beckham, because Beckham did have a an engine on on him as well. He wasn't fast, mm. but he was he was fit. You know, he was yeah. fitter than than you might imagine. And obviously, difficult to to get into a team with you know with Gary Neville 
uh, because he was such a good fullback. Mm. But at the same time, would a team nowadays, there aren't many just fullbacks nowadays. You know, that's no. the problem that England have got. So Gary Neville might have played, might be a, a modern central defender nowadays yeah. rather than uh, rather than a right back. Um, so yeah, anyway, that, that was besides the point. That, that's something that I often think about where David Beckham would play if he started nowadays. I suppose you could apply that in a way to Liverpool as well, because around that time you had wingers like Steve McManaman, who was a very similar, kind of kept right on the left and was never yeah, really allowed Yeah, but McManaman to... was never really a great crosser of the ball. You no, know, he, he was McManaman was closer to Giggs or uh, Keith Gillespie or even a John Bart, you know, one of those tricksy, a Kanchelskis, you know, a tricksy, yeah. a tricksy winger. But where do you... Where would you maybe would McManaman be Salah? I, I this maybe, is yeah, I, maybe be again. This more is another central. thing I think about sometimes, uh, p- playing the Liverpool players at the time because <laughs> the my favorite Liverpool player of all time, uh, is Robbie Fowler. Like, he okay, is, yeah, uh, he is, oh, I got him. Oh, he's not in here, he's somewhere. Oh, I think he's up there. Um, I got a little Robbie, Fa- Robbie Fowler statue, um, oh. <laughs> and uh. I'm not sure where I'm not sure where Robbie Fowler would play in a Liverpool team because I don't think he's Firmino and mm. he's not got what Mane and Salah also have. So yeah, I don't know. know. He'd probably be down on the, the line of the pitch with his old He absolutely would in his rightful position. You know, I was uh, I was eleven when that happened. And uh the next day our school had a um at a at a football game. Did you do Guy, it? I didn't do it, no, but my mate Craig did. Scored the goal, went on the floor <laughs> to the disgrace. It was a dare. It was basically a dare between everyone. The thing Whoever I, scores, I always, do it. <laughs> I always think that Robbie Fowler, and again, the man can do no wrong. He can do wrong, actually. The homophobia against Graham Rousseau was wrong. Yeah. But um, but everything else, that, that was the only thing he ever did wrong in his entire life. The, the snorting thing, because people were... You know, opposition teams were, you know, calling him a, a crackhead and a smackhead and, and all that stuff. So that's that's why he did it. You know, he didn't do it. Oh, look at me. Cocaine is brilliant. You know, he did it as a rebuttal to the fans. Hmm. Um, and he has apologised publicly and to Graham Lasso for the homophobia thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, the man, he's God. He's God for a reason. I've seen you've done a lot of campaigning recently about, well, I thought to say recently, I'd say for quite a while, uh, in regards to the Bristol comedy scene. And this is something I think a lot of people have noticed and the lack of minority comedians. Yes, so non non-white comedians. That, that I think that's we'd all agree that's that is certainly an issue, not just in Bristol and other areas of of the UK and in the comedy scenes. Um, and obviously, there's also this has been discussed in regards to management and people of authority in football as well. And I think we all sort of because I think there's been an issue with that I, I think a lot of people they they see the problem but i don't always think that the issue has been tackled correctly because absolutely as we have to address the issue and we have to do our bit 
And I think I've sort of grown frustrated from seeing, and sometimes people think they're doing their bit by, they might put on a gig and they'll say, right, I've got an open mic night coming on. They'll put it on Facebook. Can you please apply for my open mics? I've got 10 minutes, whatever. And then they'll come back onto Facebook two weeks later and go, oh, I've just got a lot of white men applying for me. Can I have some women, please? And some black people and some Asian people and people who aren't white. Cis- and you sort of think, right, it's all very well that you want your night to be inclusive, but what are you doing? Why do you not think people are applying for your gig? And I think that's been a problem for quite a while. And it, it annoys me I, seeing seeing bookers do that. Um, but I have to applaud your method of saying, well, look, I've got this knowledge here. I've got this experience and I'm prepared to give it away for free. And obviously you've been encouraged for people to, to come to you who are, you know, of people of minorities who aren't represented properly on the comedy scene work more working class comedians as well which is also growing into a bit of an issue um and yeah i mean and i feel for you as well because i saw in i think one of the early days of lockdown you opened that that opportunity up to everyone and i'd say a few people were really quite nasty to you oh about the uh about giving some of the advice yeah, I mean, so so there's two parts of this. Number one, uh, comedy courses. Mm. Like, there's a lot of people who uh, are really good at teaching. Um, they really know how to train. They really know how to do all that sort of stuff. Um, and there's also a lot of people who are really good at doing stand-up and uh, they do loads of gigs and they're full-time comics. Um, and often the full-time comics don't have enough time to do the courses and the people who do the courses haven't done six Edinburgh shows and gigged for the comedy store and all the mm. big agents and blah, blah, blah. And I just wanted, because I had nothing to do, just wanted to give out all of this advice. And I did. However, 90% of those people were white straight people. Mm. and um bristol is a fairly multicultural city it's not it an incredible multicultural city it's it's actually defined by the government as hyper diverse um there's a couple of hyper diverse cities in the uk uh birmingham newcastle uh manchester liverpool um leicester obviously nottingham but when you look at the the comics that come from those cities, uh, especially on an open mic level, they're mostly white and they're mm. mostly middle class and they're most and they're mostly straight. And it's become much better with the mix of men and women. It's still not 50-50, but it's it's better than it has been for a very long time. Mm. Um and so I did lots of research into it and spoke to lots of people. Uh, Bristolians, comics, uh, black and Asian friends who don't live in Bristol, because in the southeastern London, the issue doesn't really exist. It's, it exists a little bit because the whole of comedy should be much more diverse than mm. it is. But anywhere outside of the M25 um, is predominantly white. And I was talking to people about this, and one of the things that I realized is when you started doing open spots, when I started doing open spots, when anyone starts getting into comedy, Mm. um, the places you do it are pubs. And pubs are 
traditionally the environment, the habitat of the white man, uh, the white straight man. Yeah. And I remember when I started as a working class boy in Bristol, going into some of the gigs that we mentioned in on Park Street and up in Clifton in Bristol, which is quite posh, feeling quite intimidated because I came from one of the little suburbs in Bristol. But I was a straight white man in my early 20s, and I was feeling intimidated going into some of these places. You've seen it because you've gigged in Bristol, but also you've seen it everywhere else when all the comics hang around outside of the pub's too busy and you just walk through this, this little dam of white boys who all look the same. <laughs> and I will be honest with you, like we've not met in real life. There is a massive chance that when we meet in real life, I will not know who you are mm. because you look like another white man with a beard. There's yeah. fucking hundreds of us. There's so mm. many of us. And if that's not your world and you enter that world, then when you get past that, you'll probably, you'll realize it is quite supportive, but until you get past that, it's just really difficult. And so I want to create spaces, systems and connections where people can feel that they can do that. And football going back to what the podcast is about. I think football is quite similar in that football is, traditionally a white straight male thing mm. and although there's some incredible footballers uh from black footballers from the past and i'd love someone to make a film uh, about walter toll mm. uh, in the first world war or albert johansson um and some of the other you know the great black footballers that existed before uh before whoever we think of as you know the first uh the first proper black footballers in this country yeah, like Cyril Regis Cyril, exactly Cyril Regis is always seen as you know the first mm. but actually you know there were pe there were black yeah. people playing in the 1890s in the 1920s in the 1940s and 50s and we need to know about those people a bit more yeah but we also need to create environments where those people where where people who aren't white and aren't straight um, feel comfortable going, you know, and, uh, and and that doesn't just happen. You can't just go, oh, well, well, we don't mind them. And they go, oh, brilliant. But you actually have to, you know, go out and do it. You also have to look at how many, how many young, so let's say things are changing mm. and things are moving on and things are developing, and then Sam Allardyce goes into West Brom, and Roy Hodgson is still at Crystal Palace, mm. and, like, the young English or British managers, I mean, Eddie Howe's gone, mm. Sean Dyche is not having a great season, uh, Frank Lampard has been put into this. Like, we're not going to be able to, we're not just talking about, like, like football is so behind the times. Yeah, it is. I always think about this, and it's something that we don't talk about enough. Last English manager to win the top division in the UK. The last English manager. Cool. That would have to be... 
no, no, he's Scottish. <laughs> um, would it be Leeds manager? Howard Wilkinson, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's not it, even Howard the Wilkinson. Premier League. He, he did it before the Premier League. Yeah. There's not been an English manager who has won the English top division. That's mad, isn't it? <laughs> the thing about, they, obviously... they, yeah. They don't give the young English managers the opportunities. So they're not giving young English managers the opportunities. Mm. When are they going to start giving young English black and Asian managers the opportunities? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Game. Mark Holver, you come on here, you come on this podcast, I say, come on, come chat Liverpool. You say, sure. You say, I'm a Liverpool fan. But of course, you don't just get away with that. No one just gets to come on comedians talking about football and claim to be a comedian who knows about football. You must first pass the sudden death quiz. Okay. These questions are this week provided by Beano.com, uh, from the Beano, obviously. So prepare for a challenge. Uh, we only had one person so in Series Beano 1. Got, have Beano got a sport page? <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Okay, brilliant. This, is, this quiz, quiz is quite literally called How Well Do You Know Liverpool? Uh, are you the brilliant. ultimate Liverpool fan? Cop a load of this footy mad Liverpool quiz. Okay. You can't, you can't and tell me, what, what were you going to say? We've only had one person. We've only had one person get 10 out of 10 in Series 1. Okay. Who um, was it? It was Jack Topher, who was a Leicester City fan. First question. Liverpool's stadium, Anfield, used to belong to Everton. True or false? That is true. Do I like that? That is correct, yes. Um... Oh, why did you pause so much? <laughs> why are you being all Chris Tarrant about this? You got me worried. Uh, when was Liverpool FC founded? Uh, was oh, it 19, 1914, 1892, last week, or 10,000 AD on the planet football? I think it was 1892. Do Correct. I like that? Hold on. This is the quality of the questions, and yep. only one person has ever got 10 out of 10. You, you would be surprised. You would be very surprised. Okay. Liverpool strip used to be purple and yellow. True or false? Oh, that's a good question. I'm mm. going to go False. Do I like that? All right, there we go. Uh, where is Mohammed Salah from? Uh, he is from the heavens above. <laughs> and he can do no wrong. He is also from Egypt. He is indeed. Do I like that? Which of these people doesn't play for Liverpool? Mohamed Salah, Origi, Alison Becker, or Paul Pogba? Um, I mean, let's face it, Paul Pogba doesn't really play for anyone. Jurgen Klopp is the current Liverpool manager. Where is Jurgen originally from? Sweden, Germany, Italy or Glasgow? Um, he's actually from Glasgow, but no, he doesn't tell anyone uh, secretly. <laughs> that's locked in. Pretend, and that's got... He pretend, no, he's German. <laughs> he's German. Do I like that? There we go. Uh, oh, in 2001, Liverpool goalkeeper Michael uh, Stensgaard had to retire because he injured his shoulder while setting up a dining board. True or false? True. Do I like that? Uh, Liverpool player Robbie Fowler has the record for the fastest hat-trick ever, scoring three goals in four and a half minutes. Now, is that true or is that false? 
I think that's true as of time of printing of the Beano. <laughs> Do I like that? What is the name of the bird on the Liverpool badge? Magpie, Liverbird, Eagle. Oh, is that it? Because some that's of them it. are four, and that was just three. <laughs> that was just three. Uh, Liverbird. Do I like that? They spelt Liverbird wrong. I should be complaining to them. Have they? Which of these silly things did Michael Owen not say? Football, the Footballers these days often have to use their feet. Whichever team scores more goals usually wins. If there's a bit of rain about, it makes the surface wet. If I get hungry, I usually eat something. Uh, the first one. The first one. He didn't say the first one. No, don't! Bloody! Nine out of ten. Look at that. But I'm happy with nine. I'm happy That's... with nine. I'd be, I play the underdog, so I can't be like... All Johnny Big Bulls getting ten out of ten. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's it. Doesn't matter the score because as a thank you for coming on, I will be uh, sending you over in the post a what uh, Liverpool shirt here. I will send this to you and also. And I wasn't uh, expecting it. The budget of this show is bigger than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so yeah, this one's went to 2012, 2013, and um, you can get a bonus point if you know the importance of that season. 2012, 2013. 2013. For us? No. Oh, just in... I don't know. It's the last season Reading were in the Premier League. Oh, there you go. So oh, look at that. Well, thank you. I like that. No I'm problem at all. I'm, I'm glad I came on. Well, I've that's... Got 15 minutes. <laughs> well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a great first episode of season two, Comedians Talking About Football. Uh, thank you very much for having me. So a huge thank you once again to Mark Olver and an apology as well because uh, you didn't notice it there because of my expertise in editing. But we did have some, shall we say, technical difficulties during the quiz there. What with the Beano, uh, well the quiz anyway, not being quite how I remember it. So it's a no longer a sudden death game? Yeah, I'll have to do that then, won't I? But or, get off your ass. <laughs> Print up the questions before <laughs> and make it sudden death rather than just going through the Beano website while you're hosting the podcast. thing is, though, I like the little puns they do all the way through. So, for example, when you got that question wrong, it says, not bad, but not quite a season ticket at Anfield. I mean, they've been better, I'll be honest, but yeah, the cop-out one was good. Yeah, I like the cop-out one. Yeah, that's the last time I used the Beano as a trusted news source. Thank you very much, Beano. Dandy questions from now on. Anyway, that was Mark Olver talking about Liverpool FC. Uh, do follow him on Twitter, at Mark Olver. And as he said earlier on in the podcast, he is encouraging people to get involved in comedy, especially if they feel uneasy about the environment. So he's got years of experience uh, and he's very happy if you give him a tweet. I'm sure he would share that with you and help you out, especially if you're in the uh, southwest Bristol area. But anywhere in the UK, I'm sure he'd be happy to talk to you. Join us next week where we will have a Bristol City fan and that fan will be Joseph Parsons, a fantastic comedian. And do give us a follow as well on the social medias. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Comedians Talking About Football. And there's loads of extra content on the YouTube channel as mentioned earlier. And you can find us on Twitter and on Instagram with the handle at ComTalkFootyPod. Until next week, take care of yourselves. Speak soon. At the end of the day, football, 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 football,
It's a funny old game. Comedians talking about football. Comedians talking about football. Comedians talking about football. They've changed okay. this quiz, which I've been using religiously. Uh, what? Uh, Hold Richard... on, are you doing it off the Beano website? Yeah. So you've not even printed up the questions. You're currently <laughs> using the Beano website. Yeah, correct. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.